I read to you verses 10 through 14. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace, without spot and blameless. Heavenly Father, bless us with these five verses to realize the cataclysmic, overwhelming, universal destruction and power and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ who is coming soon. And in that terrible destruction of everything now known, all things will be made new and we shall inherit a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Help us, Heavenly Father, to live each day in light of this event that we would so order our affairs and maintain our priorities that they would reflect the belief, trust, confidence that these events indeed will take place. In Jesus' name, amen. But the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, The but counters the admitted delay of verses 7, 8, and 9. It will come as a thief in the night because it's going to come suddenly. It's not going to come with a lot of signs. And while it may take a while getting here, when it does happen, and we sang a song that may have been fudging a few of of what we believe about the second coming of Jesus Christ, one of the songs that we just sang made reference to the fact that we see omens approaching. we got to be very careful that uh, we think that we see omens approaching that songwriter could very well have been thinking of wars and rumors of wars and things out of Matthew 24 that we know were fulfilled in 70 A.D. Because to come as a thief in the night, there's not a whole lot of omens. But yet, I've already said that the 1260 years of the man of sin have run its course, that we may be in the little time of Satan, though I I can't affirm that and and guarantee it, But we do see a wholehearted worldwide antagonism toward the gospel in some respects. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It will come in a stealthy way to surprise men who don't think that it's coming at all. I want you to notice that it calls it the day of the Lord in verse 10, but it calls it the day of God in verse 12. Does that trouble you? No? Good. Is is God your Lord and is your Lord the God? You say, why would you even make the point? Because C.I. Schofield in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says that there's a day of the Lord coming and the day of Christ and they're separated by the seven-year tribulation. That's why. And he tears 2 Thessalonians 2 to shreds in his introduction to his notes on chapter 2. They're the same day. There's only one day coming, brethren. Let's make prophecy easy. Do you know how long the prophetic timetable is that is left? It's that long. Do you know how many events there are left? 
They all happen on top of each other. It's the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. It's the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection of the dead. It's the day of judgment. It's the casting of Satan into the lake of fire. All those things happen at once. There is no delay between them so that we have two, three, four comings of Christ. There's one climactic event coming. We are now living in the last days. The Bible tells us that from Acts forward. We are living in the last days because when this is wrapped up, everything is wrapped up. We don't have a new dispensation like the Old Testament had because the Gentiles were going to be brought in and there'd be a whole gospel age. But the day of the Lord, there is a great day coming one day without a seven-year tribulation or a thousand-year millennium creating additional comings and intervals that don't have a Bible description. And it's going to come as a thief in the night. Jesus warned that if the goodman of the house had known in what hour the thief was going to come, he would have taken precautions against him. But since we don't know, and the previous generation didn't know, and the generation previous to them didn't know, we all live in expectation of it. How do we fulfill 1 Thessalonians 5? But by living in the day, living in the light, living soberly every day, as if the Lord could come today. I wrote a number of you this past week and said, let's live today for the Lord Jesus Christ as if He's coming tonight. And that's how we should live every day. And that is what the Bible wants us to take from its pages. And that is why we are assembled today together to learn from Second Peter 3 that we would change our lives to be ready when He comes in the which the heavens shall pass away. We are in verse 10. The day of the Lord, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. They're going to pass away because He's going to burn them up. When it says heavens, we understand three heavens in the Bible. And we can see two of them being changed. The third one we can't see being changed because God dwells in the third one. But the other two are the interplanetary spaces called heavens. Because the sun and the moon, according to the Bible, are in the heavens. And then there's the atmosphere around this earth that birds fly in and American Airlines flies in. That's called the heaven in the Bible because it separates the water that is above that heaven from the water below it. So we believe that multiple heavens, the interplanetary spaces, the galaxies, the solar system, is going to be burned up by the Lord Jesus Christ. The place where God dwells, called paradise in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 can't be burned up. Why would it need to be burned up? It's not under the bondage of corruption because that's where God dwells with His people. That's where Paul went in 2 Corinthians 12 by vision. And it's going to disappear with a great noise. I love that. What do you go to fireworks displays for? I go for one firework. I don't care about pretty reds, greens, or blues. I only want that white flash of light and then to feel it on my spleen. I don't even know what they're called. All it is is a white flash in the sky because it's not wasting any of its powder on driving pretty little flower leaves or, or, or petals out into the sky. I just want to hear that, see that white, and know that I'm going to get a thump. And then at the end, I hope they've saved about a hundred of those boys to send up at once so that it's just, you know, we're talking about little tiny fireworks. But listen, well, look what it says here. It's going to pass away with a great noise. And when the Bible says a great noise, it's going to be exceptional. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to descend from heaven, like I said this morning, with a shout. With the voice of the archangel. Do you think he's going to whisper? 
The archangel Michael, the prince that stands for the people of God, God's people in his church, identified in Daniel chapter 10 and 11. And then the trumpet of God's going to sound. All of that at once is going to be one crashing crescendo of noise. And this universe is going to burn up and fold in upon itself and implode, explode, whatever the Lord does to it. And we're going to be with the Lord. We're going to admire Him. These events are going to happen. They're more certain than anything else that you think is going to happen in your life over the next week or year. They're coming. This is coming. Shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You know, the atmosphere is made up of 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 0.9% argon, 0.03% carbon dioxide, trace elements, and other dust. (laughs) Who cares? That's the atmosphere that has those things in it. They're called elements because when we read the word elements, what do we think of? That periodic table of elements and their melting points. Does the God who made the periodic table of elements know the melting points of everything in that table? Can he hit the highest one? Easily? With pleasure, is how the Bible presents it to us. I want to tell you about another definition of element, though. And I want you to notice. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now watch. Please keep reading that 10th verse with me. The earth also. So it hasn't got to the earth until it says the earth also. So the elements melting with fervent heat are elements of the heavens. Now there are elements in heaven. You know, they think they figured out the sun. They think the sun is 70% hydrogen, 28% helium, and minor ones. You know, they think the moon is 45% oxygen, then silicon, iron, and other elements. But do you know what? the word Our English word elements means one of the heavens or celestial spheres of ancient astronomy, also one of the heavenly bodies themselves, when it says element. So the word elements, in a passage like this, where it's confined, because there are elements on earth. So why isn't the word elements applied to both earth and heavens if it was the periodic table? But if the word elements means the spheres or or planetary bodies of stars and planets and moon and so forth, Ah, that makes perfectly good sense. This earth, because we're standing on a sphere, is going to get burned up. And those balls that are floating around us, some shining because they're burning balls of gas like stars, and some moons and other planets, they're going to burn up. And they're separated here, and the word elements is applied to heaven, not to the earth. So we choose an English definition for the word that we don't commonly use, because we want to think of that periodic table of elements rather than planetary objects shall melt with fervent heat. The the, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You know, it wouldn't hurt any of you you men if you want to take a few minutes. And and I know one brother spoke to me already this morning and said that he had looked up some little uh, video clip of fission versus fusion. And just to read about what we were doing back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, it is pretty impressive about the amount of energy that is contained in a little tiny atom. And what we, when we try to pull that thing apart, which is called fission, we break it up. And then fusion, when we jam some, some atoms together that don't want to be together, when we jam them together, it's pretty impressive. The biggest nuclear weapons that we've ever produced in the world, especially the Tsar Bomba, the one that the Soviet Union dropped in 1961, the 50 megaton 
event. It had three nuclear explosions in a row to get it cranking because it was so big. They had to have a fission explosion to get things started. They fission, like Nagasaki or Hiroshima, those were fission bombs. The first one was uranium-235. The second one was plutonium. They were different construction because we were experimenting on the poor Japanese, and rightfully so. They started the war. We ended the war. But there was a fission explosion, a, a nuclear explosion. A fission bomb goes off in order to, drive, to have enough power to drive particles together that don't want to be together. So fission, tearing it apart, which can be done by other means, in order to drive atoms together to create a thermonuclear fusion explosion, which is then big enough to set off the real one. Can you believe that? You ought to watch it. You know, the ball of fire was seen 600 miles away. The plane dropped that thing from a height of 35,000 feet. It's all filmed. They had a parachute on the Tsar Bomba so that the plane would have enough time to try to get away. The pilot was injured from that 50 megaton. You know, our little tiny, big, the biggest one we ever detonated was about 12 or 15 megatons. And that mushroom cloud went to 74,000 feet and they were only at 35,000 feet. They had encased that thing in lead to slow it down. If it had been uranium-235, it would have been a 100 megaton, and it had tossed that little plane right out of the sky, and they knew it from calculations. You know, the windows in Norway and Finland were damaged, and you got to see where they dropped this thing. It's pretty... But it's a firecracker! It's a firecracker! The only reason I'm telling you about it is to watch it and to watch the amount of energy and the way that it emanates out of that one little tiny spot and explodes with power and annihilation of anything in front of it, I look at it as just the Lord giving us a little bit of token knowledge of what it's going to be like because He has all the energy of all atoms and molecules and particles in the entire universe. Do you know what He's able to do if He allows us, idiots, to do a little bit like that? Thank you, Lord, for just giving us a little idea of what could take place. I want you to know, and brethren, I may not get very far in this, and I can see that right now. But I can, I'm sorry, but there is so much that I want to convey to you, and it's not talking about Russia in 1961 and the name of their bomb, the Tsar Bomba. That's T-S-A-R-B-O-M-B-A. Uh, anyway, do you know why the word elements is here in Second Peter 3.10? It's to hang preterists. The word elements is in your Bible four times. Two right in front of you. Ten and twelve. The other two times are in Galatians chapter 4 where the Old Testament is referred to as the elements of this world. Do you know that you might be tempted? If you knew that the word elements refers to the Old Testament system of Moses, <laughs> Paul used the word elements because the word element also means the rudimentary facts of learning a body of knowledge. In Colossians, the same expressions use the word rudiments. The rudiments of the world, or the elements of the world, and it's referring to the carnal religion of Moses that he had with the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And so here comes along a preterist, and he sees the word elements, he grabs his concordance, and finds the other two over in Galatians chapter 4. <laughs> Yes! 
This happened in 70 AD when God destroyed the temple and ended the Old Testament religion and form of worship under Moses. Now, how do we know that's not true? Because of the context telling us that we are dealing with the physical and material earth, why I spent so much time on verses 5 and 6 before we get to this verse 10. Do you know that there are verses in Isaiah chapter 65, Isaiah chapter 66, that talk about this gospel era as the new heavens and the new earth? It's Isaiah 65, 17 and Isaiah 66, 22. They call it, I will make a new heaven and a new earth. You saw in Isaiah 13 that was easy about the destruction of Babylon that the earth will go away and the world will disappear and the sun will stop shining and all those things. God uses that kind of language prophetically and He describes the era of the gospel in which Gentiles would be brought in and the kingdom of God increased on earth as a new heaven and a new earth. You give a preterist Isaiah 65, 17 and 66, 22. You give him Galatians chapter 4 with the, the use of elements as belonging to the Old Testament form of religion, and they just go down hook, line, and... Well, that's not a hook, line, or sinker. That's not a fishing pole. They hang themselves. And why do we know that the new heaven and the new earth are not metaphorical of the Old Testament system, and that the word elements is not? Because of verses 5 and 6, I'm repeating myself, and why I spent so much time in recent weeks keeping us right there so that you would not be led astray by someone that's able to tie Scriptures together. Scriptures can be tied together in all sorts of ways, but context is our master. And context tells us that it is the same physical earth and material world that was overflowed with water by Noah's flood that is under consideration. Are you with me? It is sad to read intelligent men, very intelligent men, that get confused on this point. But as I tried to encourage a few at break time, if these very intelligent men cannot figure out the doctrine of baptism, because they were all baby sprinklers, we should not be alarmed that they can't figure out Second Peter 3 when God gives them that much rope. And the rope being the word elements in Galatians 4, verses 3 and 9, and the new heavens and the new earth in Isaiah 65 and 66. Thank you, Lord. I love the way His Bible's written. He just wants us to follow the rules and never give up on them and stick to them. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements, we believe that, the heavenly bodies shall melt with fervent heat The earth also, you might want to underline that word also, which points out that the elements are not the periodic table of elements because it is separating the word elements and applying it only to heavens, not to the earth. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. I hope you notice the also. You know the also's are important in the Bible because it's separating two different things by having an also. In addition to that thing, there's this thing. That's what also means. So we've got two different things and the elements are attached to the heavens, so we believe they are the heavenly bodies. Rather than just overflow the world by the flood of waters in the days of Noah, which caused all that had the breath of life to perish, the earth itself will burn. The heavens will burn. Everything has a burning or boiling point and our Creator knows exactly what heat to supply. God's works in the natural creation at which we marvel will be burned up. A puff of steam will be the end of the Pacific. Can you imagine that? He's going to burn it all up. A puff of... 
Did you hear something read to you today that there's no more sea? Okay. A puff of steam and the Pacific is gone. What kind of candle do you need under that boiling pot or that pot to boil that much water? It's going to burn up. A puff of smoke will be the end of Mount Everest as we presently know it. Those are God's works. He's going to burn up this creation as we know it and it's going to be changed. Just like we're going to change. We're going to, you know, we dissolve. This word dissolve, what does it say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 happens to us when we go on the ground? If my earthly tabernacle be dissolved, I know that I have a, a tabernacle made of God without hands in heaven waiting for me. We're going to dissolve. This earth is going to dissolve. Man's works of any and every sort which men worship will also disappear. If a few camel jockeys... Oh, there he goes again. If a few camel jockeys or conspiratorial pawns, because I don't care who did it, could do what they did to the World Trade Center on September 11th, 2001, what can God do? Was that one of our biggest uh, emblems of American authority and power and financial influence in the world? The World Trade Center? The Twin Towers? Look what man was able to pull off in spite of efforts at security. If a few camel jockeys can do that, what is the Lord of Heaven going to be able to do? What are the great wonders of the world? When it says the works that are therein shall be burned up, we're not with John Owen and other men thinking that that's the works of the Old Testament law. We're thinking these are the actual works of a physical, material world of things that men have taken pride in. Are you thinking of the great pyramid of Giza? Who is, which is still one of the wonders of the world. To the Great Wall of China. Have you ever read about some of these things and the enormous amount of time, energy, effort, and lives that were invested to make a, to make a wall? How do you put a wall around China? I know we want one around Texas and Arizona, but uh, the Wall of China. The Great Wall of China. To the Taj Mahal of India. To the International Space Station. To the Large Hadron Collider. To the Internet. To the Burj Khalifa. Do you know that there's a, an office tower in Dubai that's twice as tall as the... Um, oh, it's in New York City. Empire State Building, thank you very much. To the U.S. highway system, to the Biltmore Estate in Asheville. All the works. You know, when you go through the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, it's impressive. What they were able to accomplish back then before the average person had many of those inventions. But all the works of men. Now let's get down to us. The place that we work for, the company that we've tried to make great, it's all going to go up in smoke. It's all going to be dissolved. It's going to be burned up. All the works they have consumed, the imagination of men, the ingenuity of men on how to do it, the investment of capital in order to get it done, and the diligence of men and the lives that they have paid for all the things that they have put their lives into, is gone. And all the gold watches that were given to men for for serving faithfully at some company for 30 or 40 years, all those watches will be burned up as well. You know, men fuss about global warming. The world, our world fusses about global warming. Whether the rainforests are going to be able to survive us, overpopulation of the earth, food supply, but they don't talk about the real event that's coming. Isn't that amazing? The devil has them so hoodwinked, deceived, that they're chasing all these little things like, will there be a rainforest? 
Do you know what's going to happen to that rainforest? It's going to be a little puff of steam. It won't be as big as the Pacific, not nearly as big, but it's going to disappear. Rather than total disappearance, we understand that there's going to be a change. It's not going to go away. It's just going to be changed. All the surface, as we understand it now, is going to be changed like our bodies are going to be changed. That little seed that we put in the ground, a, corn, a kernel of corn, the stalk that comes out with a great big tassel at the top and all that stuff and 800 kernels of its own in a cob, that's a big change. We're going to be changed. And the Bible says it's going to be a big change. We're going to be sown in weakness. We're going to be raised in power. We're going to be sown in dishonor. We're going to be raised in glory. And so is this natural creation. And so let's, let's close by going to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Or I'm thinking about closing. No, because I need one more verse. Just a few, just a few couple minutes. Hebrews chapter 1. I want you to keep this passage, and I've read it already once to you today, and I want to read it again, and I want to remind you that verses 10 through 12 of Hebrews chapter 1 are taken from Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. Because here's what it says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning, Hebrews 1.10, hast laid the foundation of the earth. We know that that took place 6,000 years ago when God laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and they're getting old, the laws of entropy and so forth. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. So we can notice here, that there's still going to be a heaven and an earth, and it still may have a similar core, or it may have other similarities, because the actual thing is going to be changed. But as we know it, it's going to be burned up in its changing. But it's going to be folded up like a garment. You know, we fold up a garment or a pair of pants and put it in the closet. The Lord's going to fold up the universe and change it. Just thinking of, this is His terminology. It's like folding a towel for the Lord to change the universe. It's nothing to him. It's getting old. And so he's going to fold it up and change it. Let's go back to Second Peter and just read and briefly comment on that next verse because we want to walk away with the effect this event should have on us. Verse 11 of Second Peter 3, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? There's two things there in that verse that we should have in our lives to the rest of today and tomorrow and this week because of verse 10. Holy conversation. That word conversation means lifestyle and conduct. We should live a holy lifestyle. Every choice we make should be toward holiness. Remember blue fringe holiness for those of you that have been members for a while in this church? How the Israelites had to have that little fringe of blue because one man went out on the Sabbath day and picked up sticks presumptuously against God's commandment about the Sabbath. They put him in the hold, which is the detention center of Israel. And Moses went to the Lord and said, what shall we do with them? Kill them. Wow. For picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, it was no minor mistake. It was a presumptuous sin. The chapter tells us that. And then God told them, I want you to put a little fringe of blue around all your clothes so that you will always remember holiness to the Lord. So that you don't die in the same way. So holy conversation. What is holiness? 
It is absolute purity and total purity from sin and a hatred for sin and a desire for purity. It is what was read to us earlier today from 1 John 3, 3. He that hath this hope in him, he that hath this hope of chapter 3 and verse 10 happening, purifieth himself even as he is pure. That is holiness. We want to live a holy life. Hate sin. Love godliness and purity. And then it says godliness, which is to measure your righteousness by God's character and what God has put in the Bible. Let's do the things that God would want us to do. Let's live a holy life this coming week so that when this happens, and if it were to happen this week, you, my brethren, I'm responsible for you to some measure that we will meet Him confidently and be found of Him living a holy life and living a godly life. You know, if you want to be thinking about these five verses as we close... There is holiness in verse 11. There is godliness in verse 11. There is looking and hasting for the coming of Jesus Christ in verse 12. And there is peace and spotlessness and blamelessness in verse 14. So those six things are what we want to have. Holiness, godliness, looking for and loving the coming of Jesus Christ, living at peace with each other without the world spotting us, keeping it off us. And without blame that he can't find anything to fault us when he appears because our lives are in conformity with the word of God. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.